0: Them a bit more to you.
1: It's so nice to meet you! I want to tell you a couple things that you can do if you just surrender to Jesus. Okay? From ministry schools in Canada to public schools in Brazil, from small country churches to stages in front of thousands of people. God has opened every door, and by grace we have walked into each opportunity. Praying with love, preaching forgiveness. Never feeling used by God, but rather partnering with His Spirit to bring Heaven to Earth. Miracles, signs and wonders, close to home and far away. Goodbye bondage, hello freedom. Goodbye pain, hello healing. Goodbye, fear, hello, boldness. From counseling offices to living room floors. From round table discussions to visions fulfilled. Lighting fires and fanning flames. Awakening Hope Ministries.
0: Good morning. It's so good to be with you guys. Thank you for coming to church. It's good to be in person. Many of you probably don't know who I am and that video will help explain a little bit. My wife and I and our tribe of little people that's ever growing. We live in Brainerd, Minnesota, but we travel all over the, the really the world. We just did uh, crusades in Brazil several in Africa, we've got several things cooking in the fire, many of you may have heard about the tent revival that we've done multiple times in Baxter, Minnesota, and you know what? I'm just going to be honest with you, you're the first people to get to know this, I think we're going to do it again. And. uh, I'm glad some of you are excited, because I'm just going to be honest with you. I get this question a lot, and I don't know if you've ever wondered the same question. How come you only see miracles and and demons coming out of people in Africa and Brazil? Well, I've got good news for you. At the TED Revival, you're going to see it. And we just did a a crusade, actually, in Minnesota, in St. Cloud in November, at the worst possible time. We did it over election weekend, deer hunting, the whole thing. I was surprised it wasn't a women's conference, to be honest with you. With Deer Hunter, thankfully there were still some guys that came. But i got to tell you, there was over 130 people that went through the deliverance room that were manifesting demons to the point of puking, shrieking, slithering on the floor like snakes. And everyone else in the room was going, I guess it happens here too. (laughs) I guess the demonic world doesn't uh, act differently in Africa than he does in America. But here's the good news is the same Holy Spirit that sets people free in Africa, sets us free here. And there wasn't one person that had demonic stuff going on that wasn't freed in the name of Jesus. 100% across the table, people were freed because people need to know that he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. My wife and I were very adamant that we want to reach the lost, but we also want to strengthen the church. We want to strengthen believers in their faith, because the world is coming against us like never before. We're living in times that this world has never seen, and I believe that the rapture is going to happen soon, and then the world's really going to go through some hard stuff. So before we get there, man, let's work hard for the kingdom of God, amen? So if you've ever wondered what that tent revival is about, it's really just setting ourselves, I don't want to use the wrong word because I've done that before and it's really embarrassing. It's about putting ourselves before the Lord in a position of worship because he is worthy. And when we as a church get on our knees before the Lord and just give him praise and worship, our adoration because he is worthy, it's amazing the chains that begin to break around us. Amen? Amen. It's so good to be here with you today. I'm going to let you in on a little bit of parenting advice. I don't know how many of you in here are parents. I see evidence on the back row that at least you two are parents. And so I'm just going to tell you what we do, and you can decide if this is good parenting or bad parenting. That's on you. If it's bad parenting, then I guess you'll have to come tell me, and I can repent at the end of service. My children, for some reason, this is going to be a big surprise to you, they're afraid of the dark. And so there came a point where my wife and I were just so tired of them not being able to leave the living room and go downstairs to their own bedroom to grab something that we needed or just to go to bed and grab their jammies and come up, because it was scary. And many of you have seen those things on Facebook, and they're funny because they're true. You know the old belief when you were a kid that, If you turn the light off, you have 3.2 seconds to get in your bed before the boogeyman mysteriously appears and eats you alive. Y'all know you've done it. Now, here's the crazy thing. It seemed so logical that the boogeyman would appear out of nowhere and come and get you the moment you turn the lights off. But what doesn't make sense is how come once you're in bed, the bed sheets would somehow protect you? I don't understand it, but... I remember it was true for me. I don't know if it was true for you. Yeah, all y'all are just super brave, aren't you? But what I do know is that with my own kids, my wife and I want to instill in them a sense of trust. We want to instill in them a sense of trust that Jesus is always with them and he's enough. And so we even exercise this in little things. And so I invented this thing called bravery training. If I had any of my kids come up, Wes and Link, how brave have you been lately? You've been level three brave, haven't you? You've been so brave. We, what we do is the kids come into the living room, and they get to choose the level of brave that they want to do. There's level one, two, and three. And you might be saying, what's the difference? Well, level one is you have to go down by yourself with all the lights on and complete a task to prove you were really down there. Level two is go down there, turn the lights off, and come back up. Level three, brave, is a big deal. That's where you have to go down there with all the lights off, sit in the dark laundry room, and say the ABCs loud enough for me to know you sat in there for at least 30 seconds. That's scary stuff! I don't know who, who else has been able to conquer this fear, but here's the thing, is the day will come in your life and in mine where you have to choose to be brave. And Jesus has to be enough in that moment. You see, the day comes where we feel strength when other people are with us, and praise the Lord most of the time we have people with us, but what about the times when he asks you to do something and you've got to do it on your own? and it's scary and it doesn't make sense and the question is what level of brave are we going to choose because one of the things that's hard for us to admit is that no one else can be brave for you and in your life and in what God's called you to do in the race he's designed for you to run you're the only one that can run it you're the only one that can be brave in your race And so the question we have to answer at some point in our life, and probably multiple times, is how brave are we going to choose to be? Because you will never see the fullness of God's faithfulness until you learn to trust in Him. You will never see the fullness of God's faithfulness until you learn to trust in Him. If you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to open up to the book of Judges, chapter 4. For those of you that forgot your Bibles and you want to pretend like it's on your phone while you check Facebook, I got your number. See that camera in the back? It's actually doing a a shot of each of your phones to make sure y'all are listening. I'm kidding. If you have your Bibles, please open up to uh, Judges chapter 4. For those of you that don't, it will be up on the screen. It says this, and the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord after Ehud had died. And the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor; the commander of the army was Sisera, who lived in harosheth Hagiam. Then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help, for he had 900 chariots of iron, and he oppressed the people of Israel cruelly for twenty years now I just want to draw some parallels here and I'm gonna ask you to not draw parallels that don't belong not everything that happened then is an exact replica of what's happening now if you can track with me on this we're gonna be okay if you start drawing things that aren't there you're on your own I'll just say they weren't listening to me and what I said but there are things in scripture that do apply to twenty twenty one And one thing I want to ask you is this, what did the trial that that we're still enduring in 2021, that began back in 2020, what did that produce in you? You see, there's a man named Charles Stanley that says this, and I agree with him, that a wise man or woman never wastes their money, a wise person never wastes their time, and a wise person never wastes a trial. Now, Understand what I'm about to say. I'm not saying there isn't truth involved in what we're going through. But what I'm saying is is that most of us wasted our time pointing fingers and saying, hey, this whole thing is China. This whole thing is the Democrats. It's the Republicans. It's Joe Biden. It's Trump. And it doesn't really matter where you land on that because the moment you start pointing fingers out here is the moment you forget that the trial is producing something in you. And even though there is truth to those things that I just said, the problem is, is that we waste the trial that has come before us. And I read this, and this is a cyclical thing for the people of Israel. You need to understand why they were sold into the hands of their enemies. It's not because they messed up a couple times or they sinned once or twice. It's because they had given themselves over to great evil. They had given themselves... so much evil that you could no longer tell the difference between God's people and the world and God finally said enough is enough I'm going to sell you into the hands of your enemies for a purpose there is a trial coming that has a purpose and it's not just to punish you for what you've gone through it's actually to purify you now I didn't say that God is the author of what we went through last year but I am saying he was the author of what they went through. What I am saying is that the, the, the allegory is true. The analogy is true. That no matter why you're going through what you're going through, I'll be honest with you, it doesn't matter how the trial came. Is what it's producing in us. Because for Israel, God used a trial to purify them and turn them back to him. And what blows me away is that it says that this evil army, the Canaanites, essentially is who they are, and their commander Sisera, oppressed them cruelly for 20 years. What blows me away is that at the end of 20 years, they finally decided to cry out to the Lord. They finally said, enough is enough. We can't handle this trial on our own anymore. We need some help. Jesus, help us. It's amazing to me that it doesn't say they cried out for 20 years. It says they waited 20 years to finally humble themselves to a place where they would turn back to the Lord. That's insane to me. Cuz I want to believe that I'm different. I want to believe that I'm more humble than that. But the problem is is I'm not sure. Because I know I can be a prideful person. I'm pretty sure some of us in this room would say, yeah, I think I can be too. And sometimes we go through, stiff, we go through trials and things and we are stiff-necked and we do not turn to the Lord because I got this, I can handle this. And the whole time the Lord is desiring us to return. You see, if they would have cried out much sooner, the trial would have ended much sooner. But instead, they took 20 years to humble themselves. And this is what I want to say. He who humbles himself quickly hears the voice of God. He who humbles himself quickly hears the voice of the Lord. And I'll say this again. It doesn't matter who the trial came through. What is it producing in us? Because I hope it's producing good things. Because a wise person never wastes their money, their time, or a trial. And I'll tell you, I hope it's what it's producing me is a fire in my stomach for Jesus Christ. It's producing in me a fearlessness to go into a world that's living in fear where I can know that He is with me and He is enough. The very next verse, it says this Now, Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of of Lapidoth, that's a heck of a name, Lapidoth, <laughs> was judging Israel at that time. She used to sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the people of Israel came up to her for judgment. She sent and summoned Barak the son of Obinam from Kadesh Naphtali and said to him, Has not the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you, go gather your men at Mount Tabor, taking 10,000 from the people of Naphtali and the people of Zebulun. And I will draw out Sisera, the general of Jabin's army, to meet you by the river of Kishon, with his chariots and his troops, and I will give him into your hand." I want to pause here for a moment just to describe to you what's going, because sometimes you hear so many names and and titles of places, you just get lost in the mix. We're in the book of Judges where there's not a king over Israel yet. It's, they have a cyclical thing that they go through. It's, they, get, uh, they live in God's freedom, then they give themselves to evil, and then they get sold into slavery, and then they, God frees them through a judge that rises to the occasion. And this whole book is about people that rise to the occasion to set God's people free as they turn back to him. Now what's fascinating to me is that the Bible does not mention certain details for no reason. And one of the details it gives us that's very important is it says, the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help because the enemy had 900 chariots of iron. It could have just said the enemy has a great big army, but he was specific enough to say they were scared of the army because they had 900 chariots plus this massive army, and they knew they were powerless to overcome. It didn't matter if the whole nation rose up together. They didn't have the weaponry, the the people, to overtake these 900 chariots. Why is this important? I want you to log that number in your mind for later in this sermon. They were afraid of the enemy because of what the enemy carried. Now, if you are saying, why were they so scared of 900 chariots? I mean... I saw Ben-Hur, and he took down a couple chariots all by himself. Well, it's kind of like taking a knife to a tank fight. That's why they were afraid, because they knew they were not Ben-Hur, and they could not physically overcome the enemy. And they finally realized that there was only one way out, and that's for a God who is bigger than what they were facing to make a way where there is no. They needed a God who was bigger than what they were facing to make a way where there is no way. And they needed him to do it in a way that they had never seen it done before because they had never faced this problem before. Had they been taken captive before? Absolutely. But they'd never faced 900 chariots of iron before. This was a big deal for them. And so they're saying, we're scared. And then comes this godly woman named Deborah and it says, Deborah, a prophetess, sat under the palm of Deborah. And I find it fascinating that Deborah rose to the, being the judge of Israel. She was in charge. She was the ruler. People sought her out. Have you ever stopped to ask the question, how did she get there? Because the pattern that they had gone through was Israel gets oppressed, a hero rises up, sets them free, and now he's in charge. I mean, look at Samson and Gideon and all the other people in the Bible. They had military exploits to show people, I'm kind of the general around here. Deborah never lifted a sword. She never fought a single physical battle. And I find it interesting that she didn't rule from a throne. She sat under a tree. And she didn't seek the position. They didn't have an election and say, you know what, I think Deborah would really be a good choice to be the judge, to be in charge of the people. They didn't say, hey, Deborah, we're going to vote for you. They didn't have an election. Instead, they sought Deborah out. She didn't have to go to the people. They came to her. Why? Because she was a prophetess that heard the voice of God. And I have to... I have to pause here for a second to let this sink in because the reason people sought Deborah out is because she walked so closely with the Lord that people knew that she had God's heartbeat. She knew the plans of God. She knew the will of God. And she could be trusted when she spoke. And they elevated her, not because of her power, not because of her wealth. They elevated her because of her close walk with the Lord. And they no longer cared if it was a guy. I have to just ask the question of myself. Do I walk closely enough with Jesus that people would seek me out because they say, I don't care what title you have, I don't care what seminary you've been to, you are a person that walks so closely to Jesus that I want to know what you think. Could that be said of you? Are you elevated just simply by the fact that you walk so closely with God that people around you say, that's a godly person. I want to know what they have to say because they're so close to Jesus. And all of a sudden, you find yourself being elevated without even being, without asking for it. They're just lifting you up because you walk closely with Jesus. And as Deborah calls Barak, who is in charge of Israel's army. She calls him up and says, Hey, Barak, why are you still here? For has not the Lord promised you victory against the 900 chariots? Take the men from these two towns and go to this river of Kishon and wait to see what the Lord is going to do. He has already promised you victory. Now, I've never noticed it until I started studying it, is that she asked the question in past tense. She doesn't say, hey, Barak, come to me. I suddenly got the word of the Lord, and I'm going to tell you what he's going to do. Instead, she calls Barak to her, and she says, hey, why are you still here? I already told you what to do, and you're doing nothing about it. And most of us think that if uh, God has asked me to do something, I'll do it when I hear an audible voice from heaven. How many times does that come out of your mouth? I need to hear an audible voice, and then I'll know. Let me just tell you that in the Bible, that didn't help them either. Read the story of Gideon. Man, Jesus appeared in person and said, go and do this, and he still had to lay out fleeces. The problem is is that we use that as a barrier to not walk in faith. We know in our hearts when God has spoken. We know in our hearts that he's promised victory, but it's scary, and you're asking me to choose to be brave, and I'm not ready. Because I feel alone, and God, I've never done this before." And she says, why are you still here? And I have to ask the question of us, is there something in your life that that statement could be true, where the Lord would say, why are you still here? I told you I would grant you victory. I told you I would be with you every step of the way. And I told you that I would do something new through you. But if we don't learn to trust the Lord, we'll never experience the fullness of his faithfulness. And it doesn't matter if you hear a voice from heaven or you get 10,000 prophetic words and you see a sign in the heavens and all these things begin to happen because the day will come where you still have to choose to be brave. And you'll never experience the victories that God has for you if we choose not to. So what is Barack's response to her? He's already had the word of the Lord. God has promised victory to the people, and he's choosing to sit down and do nothing. And I want to take one more moment to say this. It's okay to make a mistake. Some of us are so worried about making mistakes or the fear of failure or whatever it may be. It's okay to make a mistake, but it's not okay to do nothing. You make mistakes because you're trying. You're doing something. God is not worried about you trying and making a mistake. What we cannot do as the people of God is do nothing. It's okay to make a mistake. It's not okay to do nothing. And as she asked him this question, why are you still here? Has not God promised you victory? Barak said to her, if you'll go with me, I will go. But if you will not go, I can't go. And she says, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, nevertheless, the road on which you are going will not lead to your glory, for the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. Then Deborah arose and went with Barak to Kadesh. And Barak called out Zebulun and Naphtali to Kadesh, and 10,000 men went up at his heels, and Deborah went up with him. The problem with this story is you're going to find yourself in all of these people. There's going to be times where you're the one being brave and telling someone else, come on, buck up. You can do this. And there's going to be other times you're going to be like this guy, Barack, and he's you're going to say, but I can't go on my own. I've never done this before. It doesn't matter how many times the Lord has confirmed it. I'm still scared out of my mind. But if you will go with me, then I'll go. Have you ever done that? I'm scared and I just need to know that you're with me and then I'll go. You look to a Deborah in your life, someone that is strong in the Lord, and you say, I can do this as long as I know you're with me because I need you to be strong for me. Now keep in mind, I'm not saying it's wrong to have people go with you. What I'm saying is he missed the mark of God for his life because he chose not to be brave. And we know this because Deborah responds to him and says, hey, God's word has not changed. He's still going to give the victory, and you're still going to have to do it. And yes, I'll go with you. But because you've chosen not to be obedient, the glory for the battle is going to go to another woman. I find it fascinating that this story is about a bunch of women rising to the occasion as men sat down and did nothing. That's scary i don't know if that statement could still be said of today i know we could get into a theological battle about women in ministry but let me just ask this question before you even go that route are the men doing it because if they're not god's not afraid to use a woman and he'll get it done if the men sit down and do nothing god will get it done And so we see something here that's extremely important, and I want to take a second to go on just a little tangent, if you'll permit me, and it's not a vote, so I'm taking it with or without you is that we need to know that as she looks at him and says, the glory is going to go to another person because you chose to sit down and do nothing. This is a serious offense. She's saying that your fear expected the opposite of God's word. So it doesn't matter what God has spoken to you, when you live in fear, you expect the opposite of what God has spoken. That's a big deal because when we live in fear, God has spoken truth and we expect the opposite of what God has said. That's a scary place to live. And we use fancy lingo, we use Christian lingo, we'll even twist Bible verses to make it sound real holy and real good, and I'm still living in faith. But the problem is, is that fear always expects the opposite of what God has promised. I don't know why it's so quiet in here, because I should be hearing some amen, hallelujah. That's good preaching. What we need to know is this. Believe, don't get weird on me. I I have to set the stage because maybe some of you in here are weird and I don't know it. So I got to set this up. You have to promise me that with my next statement, you're not going to get weird on me. And when I say this next statement, just know that it's in the context of ministry. You need to understand that belief has access to things that unbelief doesn't. Now, let me define that for a moment. I'm not giving you permission to go outside and find a skunk and turn it into a cat because you believe. I'm keeping this in the context of ministry. If you do that, I'm going to buy you some soap and shampoo to take a shower afterwards. What I'm talking about is when Jesus came and said, all things are possible for him who believes. He said it more than once. He said, if you believe, all things are possible, which means the opposite is true, that nothing is possible when you don't believe. It's fascinating to me that belief has access to things that unbelief doesn't. For Barak, his belief had access to the victory that God had promised, but he chose to live in unbelief and he lost access to the victory that God had for him. Am I the only one in this place that's excited about this? Because this is great stuff. God is real and he is for us. You need to understand that when you choose to believe, it doesn't always mean you get what you want. But when you choose to believe, things become possible that were not possible prior let me give you several examples from my own life when jesus said and i read it as a young man i was a teenager and i read the bible and he said all things are possible for him who believes and then he said this demons shall come out you shall lay hands on the sick for these signs shall follow those who believe i closed the bible and said i believe and i find it fascinating that the day I chose to believe that God still heals miraculously, all of a sudden those people started showing up at my doorstep. And to be honest with you, a lot of them died. (laughs) But it didn't stop me from praying. And you know what started to happen over time? As I pressed through unbelief. As I pushed through the doubt, as I continued to trust in the Lord that belief has access to things that unbelief doesn't, that these signs shall follow those who believe, all of a sudden people started getting up out of wheelchairs and walking. I'm not making this up. All of a sudden, cancer started going away into submission. We've seen people get healed of all kinds of things. In St. Cloud, Minnesota, a 16-year-old girl got healed of scoliosis, and the doctor proved it. She went to the doctor, and the same doctor that had taken the x-rays, and he said, your spine is healed. I can't explain it. And I, let me tell you one more. When I started to believe that God would actually cast demons out in the name of Jesus, all of a sudden demoniacs started showing up in my door. People that were just wah, 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 zombies from The Walking Dead. There was crazy stuff. People would slither on the floor like snakes and change voices and their eyes would change colors. Crazy, crazy stuff. And all of a sudden I realize that he who is in me really is greater than he who is in the world. Because I've never met a demon that doesn't come out in the name of Jesus. And I've never met a demon that was powerful enough to cast the Holy Spirit out of me. And all of a sudden you face darkness with faith instead of fear. You face darkness like a warrior instead of a coward. You face darkness and you take the kingdom of God by force. And you go with faith because you know that he is with us and therefore nothing can stand against us. The gates of hell shall not prevail against the church of God. Do you believe it? Because belief has access to things that unbelief doesn't. You know why God sends them to you when you choose to believe? It's because you can't help them until you believe that God can. And the moment you choose to believe that God is still a miracle worker, all of a sudden people start coming to you that need a miracle. You know why God sends them to you? It's because he loves them so much. And he wants them to be free of what they're carrying. He wants them to be healed from what they're experiencing. And the moment you choose to say, I know someone that can help, and you begin to love people like Jesus does, he'll send them because he loves them so much. And he wants to send them to somebody that has enough faith to say, I know Jesus, and he can help you. It doesn't matter if it's 900 chariots or COVID-19. I know somebody that can help you. Because belief has access to things that unbelief doesn't. I also find it fascinating that Deborah says, Hey, Barack, uh, you're still going to go do the battle. God is still going to give you victory, but the glory is going to go to someone else. You know, I'm pretty sure that most of us in this room are humble enough that if someone came to you and said, Man, you're awesome, or you did a really good job, or if I went to Colton and said, You did a great job leading worship, he's probably not going to say, Yeah, it's because I'm pretty awesome. Most of the time, what you're going to hear is people saying, Oh, glory to God. You know, it's all for him. God help me. I want him. And the reason we do that is because we know that we want to give the glory to the Lord, right? I don't think there's anyone in this room that wants to take glory away from the Lord. But it's interesting to me that God shares it. And let me illustrate to you how that happens. If Billy Graham walked through these doors and came and sat down on this front row, that'd be a little weird because he's dead. But let's just say he walks in, he's alive, he comes and he sits down on this front row. And everybody in this room is going to look at him and go, holy cow, that's Billy Graham. You know what that guy's done? And if you would ask Billy Graham, he'd say, dude, it's all Jesus. I I don't want the glory. Give it all to Jesus. He made the way. He opened the doors. I just said yes and walked through. But everyone in this room is still going to go, that's Billy Graham. I need a picture of Billy Graham. I need need his autograph. He's the only person in the world that could sign a Bible, and it's not weird. Billy Graham, can you please come and sign my Bible? And people are going to be freaking out because he carries glory that God has shared with him. And you know why he has glory? Because he did what God called him to do. When you do what God has called you to do, he lifts you up to whether you want it or not. God is saying, hey, look, This is my son. This is my daughter with whom I am pleased. And I will lift you up in the presence of your enemies and show them that this is my child that chose to trust in me, that chose to believe that I am who I say I am. Please don't let someone else do what God has called you to do. Because God has called you to do it first. How painful would that be? To have to sit down and watch somebody else finish what you were supposed to do. And so Barak, he musters up his people and they march. Now this next verse I want to read to you because it is important. Now Heber the Kenite had separated from the Kenites the descendants of Hobab, the father-in-law of Moses. And he had pitched his tent as far away as the oak in Zananim, which is near Kadesh. What does all that mean? Why is this verse suddenly interjected in the middle of the story when it doesn't seem like it has a purpose? I'm going to tell you why. Because God is taking a moment to show you how he's still going to fulfill what he said he was going to do. He's just not going to use Barak to do it. And he takes this person, Heber the Kenite, who's married to this woman of God, Jael, and he separates them from their camp, and they move over to an undisclosed location, and they set up camp there for seemingly no reason. But to God, he had a plan. He positioned somebody who would actually have faith to intersect a person that God wanted to take out. And then the story comes back to Barak and Sisera. And to remind you, Sisera is the commander of the evil army. And it says this, when Sisera was told that Barak, the son of Abinoam, had gone to Mount Tabor, Sisera called out all, all of his 900 chariots of iron and all the men who were with him from Herosheth Hagiam to the river of Kashan. And Deborah said to Barak, up. For this is the day in which the Lord has given Sisera into your hand. Does not the Lord go out before you? So Barak went down from Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. And the Lord routed Sisera and all of his chariots and all of his army before Barak by the edge of the sword. And Sisera got down from his chariot and fled away on foot. And Barak pursued the chariots and the army of Harosheth Haggiam. And all the army of Sisera fell by the edge of the sword. Not a man was left other than Sisera the commander. Now that was a lot of words to say this, that God had told Barak to get the Israelite army in order and bring them down to the river by Kadesh. God had a plan, and I need to stop for a moment to say, faith is not reckless, it's obedient. Faith does not mean you go turn a skunk into a, a cat, faith is obedient to what the Lord has spoken, amen? some people justify crazy crazy stuff as faith that's not faith faith is when god has spoken and we do faith is obedient it's obedient to the word of the lord if he would have taken the army to a different place that's not faith that's disobedience even if he said well god can deliver us here too of course he could but that's not faith because you're living in disobedience God told them to camp by this river because God had a plan for those 900 chariots they had lived in fear of. And what's fascinating is the moment they reached this place of destiny, this was a destiny moment for the Israelites as they camped out near this river of Kadesh, all of a sudden Sisera, the evil commander, says, Hey guys, look, Israel's got their puny little army down there by the river. Get everything we've got. We're going after them. And it specifically says that he gathered all of his chariots, not 899 of them, but all 900 of them. He took his whole army. He mustered up all of his powers because his goal was to wipe Israel off the planet for good. And he gathered up everything he had. And as the entire army is coming against him, Deborah looks at Brock and says, good, good. He's bringing everything he's got good i want the world to see that no matter how big they think they are our god is bigger and she looks at barack and says get up because this is the day of your deliverance get down there and start fighting and i've got to tell you church That it doesn't matter if this is something we have never faced before. It doesn't matter if they threaten fines, if they threaten jail, if they threaten this. Because our God is bigger than 900 chariots and he has a plan that we've never seen before. All we need to do is be obedient and walk in faith and trust that he is with us. And choose to be brave because all hell could gather up every demonic force, every principality, every power, all the power of darkness could come against you and they will not prevail against the church of God because all hell can come and God says good I wanted to kill y'all at once so bring everything you got because God is not overpowered by the army of the enemy he is not afraid by a government threatening his church he is not afraid of a virus, he is not afraid of demonic spirits, and he is not afraid of the spirit of fear. And I have to ask the question, why are we? Because fear expects the opposite of what God has promised. You know what's fascinating to me is that God had a plan for those 900 chariots and if you read in the next chapter in chapter 5 it tells you what happened to those chariots they came down to the river and as they were crossing exactly where God had told the Israelites to camp these Israel these These chariots came through and they got stuck in the mud and they couldn't pass through and then waters came and washed some away and they couldn't turn around and couldn't get out. So all of a sudden the chariots were useless by a supernatural move of God and all of a sudden the Israelites rose up because they saw the finger of God destroying the enemy before them. All they needed to do was move forward in the word of the Lord and be obedient and choose to be brave. And they destroyed every single person except one, the commander of the army. Verse 17, it says, But Sisera fled away on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite. For there was peace between Jabin the king of Hazor and the house of Heber the Kenite. And Jael came out to meet Sisera and said to him, Turn aside, my lord, turn aside to me and do not be afraid. So he turned aside into her tent, and she covered him with the rug, and he said to her, please give me a little water to drink, for I am thirsty. So she opened a skin of milk and gave him a drink and covered him. Can we stop here for just a second? Because if you ever notice the fact that the dude was thirsty, he was fleeing for his life. It was probably hot. He was, he was sweating out every last drop of water he had. The dude was parched. He needed some water. He asked for water, and the woman gave him milk. <laughs> Have you ever noticed that? He said, I need some water. And she's like, actually, I got this milk. And I don't think it's a far stretch to say they didn't have refrigerators back then. So it was probably warm milk. And for those of you that have ever experienced drinking warm milk when you're really tired, man, it'll put you in a coma quick, won't it? And I just got to say this. A woman with a plan is death to a man with no brain. A woman with a plan is death to a man with no brain. Because he should have been thinking, wait a second. That's not water. Why are you giving me all this milk? I don't know. You look like you could use some milk. Uh, milk is also not a great thing to drink when you're dehydrated, just so you know. So this dude falls into a deep sleep. I'm just going to give all you husbands a word of advice. If you ever ask your wife for a cup of water and she comes back with warm milk, I hope you hid the hammers and the nails. <laughs> just saying, just saying. Because remember when we had those two verses interjected for seemingly no reason about Heber the Kenite being taken away from his people and planted over here? That's why. Because this is Heber the Kenite's wife, Jael. And it says, and he said to her, Stand at the opening of the tent. And if any man comes and asks you, Is anyone here? Say no. But Jael, the wife of Heber, took a tent peg and And a hammer in her hand. Then she went softly to him and drove the peg into his temple until it went down into the ground while he was lying fast asleep from weariness. So he died. Sometimes there's verses in the Bible. that I'm like, is it really necessary to describe it? I think we get the picture. The dude's got a nail through his forehead, and she nailed the sucker to the ground. I'm pretty sure he's dead, but it leaves no doubt the dude's dead. Just so you know, she drove the nail through his head, through his temple, and actually nailed him to the ground. And behold, as Barak was pursuing Sisera, Jael went out to meet him and said to him, Come, I will show you the man whom you are seeking. So he went into her tent, and there lay Sisera dead with the tent peg in his temple. How much that must have hurt his heart to see what he was supposed to do being done by someone else. That's the guy I was supposed to take out. And now the glory is going to this woman, J.L., because she had enough faith and enough plan to do it all on her own. And I love, we're going to skip over to chapter 5, verse 2. It says that the leaders took the lead in Israel. The people offered themselves willingly. Bless the Lord. You know what is interesting is that all of us in this place have circles of influence. For some of us, it's our families and our friends. For some of us, it's our ministries and our businesses. For some of us, it might be bigger than others, and it doesn't matter because each of us has a sphere of influence where you influence people. Did you know the day will come when God is going to ask you to be like Deborah and walk closely with him because they're going to need you? And you're going to have an opportunity to be Deborah for somebody else, to be their strength because they can't do it on their own. And there's going to be days where you're tempted to be like Barack, where God has said, I've promised you victory. Just walk in faith because I am enough. Just choose to be brave. And if you don't, God's still going to get it done, but he wanted to do it with you. You know, my mom, on her deathbed, this may sound crazy to some of you, but she was dying of cancer, and and at the tail end of her life, moments before she died, the Lord opened the heavens, and she could see Jesus. And she began to speak to us as we surrounded her deathbed, and she talked about, I see Jesus. And she was so excited. She reached for the sky, and I thought she was going to come right out of that bed and fly up there on her own. (laughs) And we got to hear a one-way conversation between her and Jesus. And as she sat there, she asked many questions. And at one point, her face grew a little sad. And we said, Mom, what's going on? And she said, he's asking me if I want to go home or if I want to stay here. He's telling me that I still have work to do here, that there's still a book I'm supposed to write. And she had talked about this book for years. And guys, I'm not throwing darts at my mom, but I'm telling you she went home and she didn't finish what God had for her. Don't let that be you. Because God wants to show you his faithfulness. He's called you to do something amazing. And he wants, as you walk in obedience, he wants to reveal his faithfulness to you. He wants to show you that he has power over everything you could face. But if we choose to live in fear, we will always expect the opposite of what God has promised. Ladies and gentlemen, I am so happy to be here. Thank you for having us come. What we're about to do is... Uh, We're just going to have a a time of prayer, a a worship song, and, and like usual, you'll be released as soon as the worship song is done. And if you're watching online and you're saying, this is hitting me and I need some prayer because I don't feel very brave, then they have a Connect card that you can fill out and fill in your prayer request. Man, there's men and women of God here that would love to pray for you by name. They would love to lift you up in your circumstance so that you can see God's faithfulness in your life and not just everybody else's. And if you're here in this room today and you're saying, man, uh, I just could use a little bit of oomph to get going in what God has called me to do. I would love to pray for you. I would love to pray for you. Did you know this isn't a shame thing? This is what brothers and sisters in Christ are for. Because the Lord knows there's times when I need someone to give me some oomph in my faith. There's times that when we stand together, we can actually help give each other strength. If there's one thing I can promise you, it's this. That everything God has said that he will do, he will do it because it's impossible for him to be unfaithful. He has to be faithful to his word. And the question for us is, are we going to be brave? Are we going to choose to trust him? Are we going to walk in obedient faith? Because then you'll experience the fullness of his faithfulness. And all the things that you face that you feel like you don't have the power to overcome, let me remind you, He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Amen. You guys are amazing. Would you mind bowing your?